Hey everybody, welcome to Getaway Day, the podcast episode 6. I'm Gautam Rao, I'm joined by Mason Lott. Today we're going to fix the Rockies. We're going to build them up from the bottom up, and uh, hopefully you're, you're listening, uh, Mr. Monfort, because we've got some uh, pretty good suggestions, we think. Um, we're going to do a stat of the week, and we're going to finish up with some April awards. But before we get started today, uh, we're going to do something a little bit different. Um, no free ha- no free ads here, but uh, Mason and I both uh, each bought a shirt from RotoWare. I, I actually oh. bought three, but only one fits for this, so just fun Yeah, fact. so we each bought a mystery baseball shirt from RotoWare, and we're about to open the packages and put the shirts on for this podcast. Yeah. So we'll be right back. Yeah, well, so we'll open them on, on camera, show them, and then we'll go ahead and go into an intermission for all like a minute for us to change our shirts. But this is kind of fun. This is something that uh, I figured that uh, Porsche Cayman S, while I love this shirt, doesn't exactly scream baseball. So trying to get more baseball into our already pretty baseball pod. And this seemed like a pretty fun way to do it. Let's see, what is this? That is my receipt. Comes in this nice little gold bag. Alright, so I'm going to go ahead and show my non-mystery t-shirts first. So I figured let's do this one first. I'm a big Cardinal fan, obviously. You haven't been able to tell. So I did have to go ahead and get my Nolan Arenado with the arch shirt, as any good Cardinal fan would do. Then I also got the face of baseball, my boy El Nino, Fernando Tatis Jr., with the bat flip that, um, pay no mind to the fact that that bat flip was specifically off of Giovanni Gallegos in the postseason. And then now mystery shirts. You want to do yours first? Mine says, New York City basketball is back. (laughs) you got basketball that's awesome so i did get baseball i guessed the wrong large team i actually got a yankees shirt i'm repping my boy clint frazier i put it a little closer to the camera there if you want but so yeah so we're gonna go put these on real quick and we will be back in all of like 15 seconds all right we are back Gowie's wearing All his right. very out of uh, out of uh, place basketball shirt. Yep, I got my Clint Frazier. Love that dude. He has probably some of the best cleats in the league. Just gonna throw that one out there. All right, so let's get started today by talking about a milestone that was reached uh, over the weekend. Joey Votto hit his 300th home run on Friday against the Cubs. Um, so I just wanted to just talk about how Joey Votto is like a completely different player than he pretty much was for the bulk of his career. He's doing something that he he really hasn't done in like over a decade, which is um, he's he's swinging at 47% of pitches. And usually he's like in the high 30s range. So it's basically an aggressive Joey Votto, which is something that I never thought I'd, I'd see. Yeah, and so for uh, 
for some of the more uh, kind of casual fans, basically what he's doing is he said, kind of screw my uh, my being the on base guy, the guy that's on base um, with like a 450 whatever OBP. He's selling out some of his on base to get some more power because fans come to see home runs. Fans don't come to see him taking walks, which he could do that for the next like four years and will still finish with a career 400 OBP. Yeah, and it's not like he's lost his uh, like eye for seeing what strikes are. He's always going to have that. It's just he's kind of realized that um, for him to keep up in the game and, and still be a productive player, he, he kind of needs to be more aggressive and, and try to hit the ball hard. And it's kind of reflected in his, um, in his stat cast metric. He has a max exit velocity that's in the 92nd percentile. So for a 37-year-old man, that's pretty amazing that he can hit the ball like harder than basically anyone in the league. Except Nelson Cruz, who is 39? He's like 41. Is he actually in his 40s? Yeah. Oh, Lord. All right. He's a robot. <laughs> but, yeah. Okay. But, yeah, no, that's – so Joey Votto has always been really fun to watch. I think he's maybe the only red that I don't have, like, an open hatred for. Well, and Tucker Barnhart, but he and I are buddies. He, we both know that. But. Yeah, he's he's just, like, a really fun player to watch his career. I'm not sure how well this approach is going to hold up if he's making so much less contact, but definitely going to be keeping an eye on it, and he's still got multiple years with the Reds before, you know, he retires or whatever. Yeah. Um, another question uh, I'll pose to you. Uh, I'm kind of borrowing this idea from uh, another podcast that I listened to uh, called the Pull Hitter Podcast, where the host, his name is Rob DiPietro. He um, interviews uh, really good fantasy baseball players on their strategies and stuff. And one of the questions he was asking is just like, when you when you open up a box score, like on the MLB app, I mean, it used to be in newspapers. I used to like read the newspaper when I was in elementary school and look at all the box scores. What's the thing that you're looking out for first when you see a box score? Like the number that my eye naturally gravitates to first? Yeah. So for pitchers, it's it's always going to be – well, for starting pitchers, it's always going to be innings pitched because that pretty much gives you a pretty good idea how efficient a guy has been for the most part. I mean, obviously you're going to want to look at pitch counts and see kind of what the situations were when he came out of the game and whatever. But for so for starting pitchers, it's always innings pitched for me. I think for hitters – I naturally look at the hit column. I just, I like people that get on base a lot and have high averages. And so if a guy comes out and he um, has like a four hit game, that dude's locked in. And so that's kind of the guy that I look at. Cause if you got four hits, chances are you got some other stuff too. Yeah. I'm so. kind of same way. Like I'm looking out for crooked numbers basically in the, in the line score. So on, on Sunday, there were actually some, like, really eye-catching ones that I noticed. So Chris Taylor, he went three for three with five runs scored um, and a walk. And then Castellanos went um, five for six, actually, with four runs scored and four RBI. And then kind of on the complete opposite spectrum, Daniel Johnson, he's a young player with Cleveland, um, making a second start of the season. He went 0 for 5 with five strikeouts so that's the, the platinum uh, sombrero platinum sombrero so i want one of those not a great way to start the season but i'm still high on johnson because i i think he's like a really intriguing um combination of power and speed and he really throws the ball well too so hopefully cleveland doesn't just give up on him after 
a bad game, but they've been known to make some questionable decisions in the past. Boneheaded. You could you could say it. They're, they're not quite as bad as another organization that we may or may not be talking about today. <laughs> but yeah, no, that's uh, that's a good question though. I, I I'm kind of tempted to start looking at um, just see if any other numbers just at box scores I'm looking at pop out and just kind of actively thinking to myself, well, what am I looking at first? His, and the uh, other one that I, I'm always uh, looking for is stolen bases because they happen so rarely. I always want to see like if there were any steals in the game that I'm specifically looking at. Well, and at this point, I, I read the home run list too because it's, it's usually pretty extensive. So I'm looking for multi-homer games with guys that had a bunch of hits. Exactly. Speaking of Homer, Kevin Pillar. Dang. Didn't know he could hit home runs still. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) To dead center field. It went about 10 feet up the batter's eye. Oh, we have five feet up the batter's eye. Far enough, Bader couldn't somehow get it. So, you know. Okay, let's move on to the stat of the week. Um, This week, we're going to do WRC Plus, which is a offensive statistic that can be used to compare players or teams um, uh, that play in different ballparks. So, so basically the way we can use this um, is to compare like any player to an av- to the average performer in the league at that time. So it uses uh, weighted on base average, which we talked about a few weeks ago, which credits, uh, different values to the different ways that you can get on base. So singles, doubles, triples, home runs, hit by pitches, and walks uh, all have different values, and they're boiled down to this one singular number, which can tell you um, how that player is performing versus the rest of their league. Um, th- the other nice thing about it is that it's scaled um, so that 100 is average, and every point above average is that percent above average. So a 150 WRC plus would be a player who's 50% above the league average. Um, and then a number of under 100 would be a player that's below average. So a 90 WRC plus is a player that's 10% worse than league average. The thing that WRC plus does is that it scales for ballpark too. So it's a way you can compare a player that plays in a plays most of their games in a really hitter friendly environment versus a player that plays in um, like a, a a really um, you know not not friendly for for offense environment. So we're going to talk about it throughout this episode about the challenges that the Rockies have um, playing in Coors Field, but. We all know that Coors Field is a super great park for hitting home runs and scoring lots of runs. So with WRC Plus, we can use it to compare a player that plays most of their games at Coors versus a player that played most of their games at, like, Marlins Park or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of my go-to stat whenever I'm just trying to get like a a general idea of how good a hitter is so like for a specific game I think I was looking yesterday at uh at some guys and there were some guys that had like 500 WRC pluses for an individual game 
but then over a season-long standpoint, like your best hitters of all time, your your Barry Bonds 2004, right, is sitting right at about 200, and that's insane. Like a lot of guys are going to be sitting somewhere between like 100 and 140 for the most part. Your really good guys, your Mike Trouts, I think, can sometimes sit up closer to 150, 160. Yeah, he's all, he, actually Mike Trout, he's never had a season where he's been worse than 62% better than the league average. So 162 is the lowest WRC plus he's ever had. Good Lord, that dude is nuts. Yeah. I I don't know how he doesn't have every award. He should have the National League Rookie of the Year every year. And he's neither a rookie nor in the National League. Give it to him anyway. Cy Young, Mike Trout. All for it. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I think throughout this episode, we'll probably be referring to WRC Plus a couple more times so you can see it in use. Um, but the main focus, uh, the main thing we wanted to talk about today is the Colorado Rockies. Um, so last week, of course, um, their former uh, top decision maker on the baseball side jeff british he resigned after being in that role for seven years um today it was announced that bill schmidt um has been named the acting uh general manager yeah and he's um, their uh vice president of scouting so yeah so he has, he's got a lot of scouting experience but from the sounds of it they'll be interviewing outside the organization following the 2021 season um Obviously, this guy may have a chance to, to you know, interview for the full-time job, but I guess we'll start with where the Rockies have been throughout their history. And to be honest, it has not been a very uh, nice history, I would say. They've never won their division in now, what, 28 seasons of existence? Yeah, 1993 to now. So. Yes. They've never, they've never won their division. Obviously, they play in tough division right now with the Dodgers, but that's not great. They've had three different instances of having back-to-back seasons. So uh, 1995 to 1997, they had winning seasons. 2009 and 2010, they had winning seasons. And then 2017 and 2018. So it's only happened three times. Yeah, and unfortunately... Um as you said, like they've kind of been in a rough situation and being in probably one of the most, uh, I don't want to say the best division, but the division that somehow has the best team in the league, like every year, because in the early 2010s or like 2000, uh, was it 2008, 10 and 12, 16, it was the, Oh, 10 through 16. It was the giants. And even before that, the giants were the top in the division. They just weren't making the world series, um, in 2008, 2009, and then recently you've had the Dodgers make like what three out of four world series or four out of five world series here in 2017, like 2018 six years in a row now. So they're yeah. kind of the top job. And then obviously now the Padres are right there in contention with the, with the Dodgers and the giants don't appear to be going anywhere anytime soon as far as they're uh, only going up. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that's, that's what I'm getting at there. Cause I think the giants are currently winning that division, aren't they? That's correct, yeah. Yeah, so, shocker. Did not see that one coming. <laughs> yeah, um, so, but the Rockies themselves, 
obviously playing Coors Field, and that poses its own challenges. Um, not even from the baseball playing standpoint, but from like a rest and recovery standpoint, it becomes really difficult for the players to, you know, make the travel and then um, have their bodies recover when they're playing uh, so many games at that high altitude. Um, and then in the most recent years, they've gotten a whole bunch of criticism based on the different moves that they've made with their roster. They seem like they always are kind of shopping in that middle class of free agents. Um, they've had a really bad track record with uh, free agent signings most recently when they gave $106 million to three different um, relief pitchers, Brian Shaw, Jake McGee, and uh, Wade Davis for three years, paying those guys $106 million, and I'm pretty sure they got negative wins above replacement. I think Ottavino had some or he was still Arb uh, at the Ottavino time, but he was the only guy. plus reliever that they had, right? Right, but he wasn't even a, like the big money free agent. He was uh, like their own guy. Yeah. So, um, and then um, the other thing that I'll have to mention is do just I, the way do I need the organization. To get the shirt? <laughs> what do I need to get the shirt? Maybe. The, the yeah. Nolan Arenado trade, I don't understand. that That's one of those, like, the most recent, for sure, like, big move that, I I mean, I understood that they were going to try and um, offload Nolan, because, but Nolan is one of the best players in the game. There's no way you should have to pay somebody to take him. So the fact that the Cardinals got $50 million and Nolan Arenado and gave up Alouris Montero, Austin Gomber, and two guys that I don't remember who they are, that that's just idiotic, quite frankly, of British. And that's kind of the history that the Rockies have had. Now, granted, they've had some really good players, too, in the past. Like, let's yeah, let's that's, let's that's not only tear them down. For sure, mention, like, we can't just be trashing the Rockies completely without giving them credit for what they have done right. And what that is is developing their, their like, first and second round talent. So I have here their, their first and second round picks uh, going back to, like, Todd Helton. Obviously, he was great. But then since then, they've had... Tulowitzki, Nolan Arenado, Trevor Story, Matt Holliday, Charlie Blackman, John Gray. Like, these are legitimately, like, all-star type players. Yeah. Uh, Kyle Freeland is one of those guys that had an amazing year. Right now, the jury's kind of still out on if he's going to go back to that or be kind of somewhere in between. But he'd be right up there. Um, it wasn't a draft pick, but another move that I would applaud them for is Larry Walker. Because he came from Montreal, and they ended up getting Larry Walker, and he put together a Hall of Fame career for them. Like, So they have had some good decisions in the past, both drafting and uh, I don't know if he was a trade or a free agent. I assume a trade um, coming out of Montreal. I'm not sure. Dante Bichette, I'm not sure where he came from either, but he was also a really good player for them. So just Yeah, so they've had their fair share of, like, good players and even star players but the thing that like really irks me about it is the way they've treated their star players like with Arenado getting like basically turning his back on the franchise after one year into his uh, like mega deal uh, where he's requesting a trade and then something kind of similar 
maybe not to the same extent happened with Troy Tulowitzki when they traded him in 2015. Um, he w- he was expecting that he would be kept in the loop on where he would be headed, and Jeff Riddich didn't even tell him where he'd be going. He just one day found out, oh, I'm going to Toronto, and I didn't have any say in this decision, which is not a great way to treat your uh, star players. Yeah. And, yeah, British just really not have a good track record with, uh, like, his public perception. And he's kind of like a guy that is known as a poor communicator and, and really, like, closed off. But then at the same time, he's a guy that seems like he thinks that he's the smartest guy in the room and, and doesn't really rely on any of the rest of his staff or, or team or whatever. Yeah. Now, some of the blame here does also lie with the owner. Yeah. Because, I mean, he kept this guy around for seven years with this guy kind of – and, I mean, after the Tulo deal, you could say, eh, I mean, yeah, the player doesn't really get a say because it's a business, sure. But you start seeing a pattern emerge. Right now, Trevor Story is kind of going through the same thing, or he, he was starting to is Arenado. Granted, he didn't sign a mega deal. It's just – are they going to extend him? Are they not? What's going to happen? Are they going to trade him? And there's just really no inclination that um, the Rockies are going to do or say anything internally or externally um, about what their plans are. Granted, they could be changing depending on the season, who, uh, how the season goes. But it, at some point, the leadership of that team, be it the GM, the owner, even the assistant GM needs to kind of go in there and try and lead a, lead that team from a front office standpoint. And it kind of seems like there's been a man behind the curtain in Colorado. Yeah, 100% agree with that. Um, the one that always sticks out to me um, is the decision of Jeff British to sign Ian Desmond. So he, he had asked his entire analytics group, which was which is quite small compared to, to other teams' departments, to rank the first basemen um, that were available that year in free agency. There were guys like Mitch Moreland, uh, Mike Napoli, Trevor Plouffe, Chris Carter, Mark Trumbo. So some solid options. And um, they actually ranked Ian Desmond last on that list because he had never played first base and they weren't sure if he was really that great of a hitter. Um, so he asked for that input and he got, um, you know, a legitimate like analysis and, and reasoning for why they would want to like uh, highlight or, or like go after these players. And then he just completely goes against what information he has and, and signs uh, Ian Desmond to a contract bigger than all those players that I just listed combined. So it's just like I don't understand that kind of mentality, and, and that's part of the reason why they've been so bad. Yeah, but, which it, we say they've they've been bad, and I mean that's all kind of based on eye test, but the numbers back it up. I mean, you were kind of alluding to earlier, just kind of historically they're an underperforming team at just some of the kind of face value stats. WRC Plus, I think the their team WRC Plus has never been above 100. Is that correct? 
Yeah, that one really shocked me. So they, they put up tons of runs and everything when they play at Coors Field, but when you adjust for the park, like WRC Plus does, the highest WRC Plus they've ever had in a single season was 97. So just about league average or just a little bit below. Yeah, and shocking to me. And I mean, you could, I, I haven't looked at the home road splits for the team as a whole, but I'm sure that you could see that by yeah, looking at the, the the away splits there. Yeah. Granted, it sounds like I'm trying to build into the whole course field effect for players, which is sometimes true, sometimes not. There are cases like uh, what Nolan Arenado is uh, trying to show right now, what Larry Walker did show, what DJ LeMahieu did show, where that's not going to be the case with every player. Some players are just good in general. And those are the guys that are putting up monster numbers and cores that they then go put up monster numbers elsewhere too. But the team as a whole, you can look at their splits and see that they do way better at home in probably one of the most hitter-friendly parks there is, right? Yeah, well, hands down. It's not even close. Coors Field is the most hitter-friendly place you can play. Yeah, I couldn't remember the... Uh, so um, Baseball Savant, for uh, anyone that... Um, likes looking at analytics uh they put up their park factors um last week i think so it, it breaks down a whole bunch of different park factors based on uh i think park factors for individual types of pitches for uh lefty hitters righty hitters um it, basically everything you can think of uh how uh parks play for strikeouts versus how they play for home runs it's really detailed and really cool uh it's all based on Statcast. Um, which, uh, just side note, when did StatCast go from AWS to Google whatever services? Was that this year? I think it was this year or last year, yeah. All right, because I caught that on a broadcast, and that kind of threw me off a little bit. I was a bit surprised. I didn't realize they were changing that. Yeah, I think that's but, a relatively uh, new change. I mean, that's off topic, so sorry. But um, Oh, no problem. Yeah, and if you allow me to nerd out here for just a quick second. Unacceptable. Um, we do not allow that here. <laughs> I'm going to do it anyway. Fine, my hands are tied. Um, so there's a – what you were talking about there with, with the players playing at Coors um, and then, you know, having to go on the road, obviously completely different um, environmental circumstances. And there's a really interesting statistic – or metric called um, VMI, which stands for Visual Memory Index. So basically what it tries to do is it measures like the degree of a pitch's movement that a hitter may be accustomed to. So if they've been playing four games at Wrigley Field and then they go to Coors Field, they'll have um, kind of a expect how pitches are going to be breaking. And then when they go to Coors Field, it'll move completely different, and they're not going to be prepared for that without some sort of adjustment period. So one of the one of the things that I was thinking, and and probably the Rockies already do this, we would hope that they do it. But when a team comes to town to play them, they should be game planning um, based on things like VMI that allow them to have that advantage at least in the early part of series. They need to be leveraging their ballpark for their own use, and they're the ones that play in it the most. They should be winning most of their games that they play there. 
Yeah, what's their, even just like uh, the last full season, so 2019, what was their uh, their home record? Do you know? I can check on that. Yeah, from my iPad, I can't change the year on the standings, so. Yep. Yeah, and then kind of tied to that same point is um, they need to, like, tap into a way to um, recover and, and rest their players in a way that, um, like, benefits the, them the most. They didn't seem like they had any real training plan. And the fact that Charlie Blackman had to come up with the organizational plan because they didn't have any, they need to know how to uh, play in their own park, which seems – pretty obvious but i don't know if they're actually doing it yeah and, and that kind of just points more because that's not inherently that's not a, a gm's yeah. well it's not inherently a gm's job but at the same time oh. he tells other people what to do to make sure that they're ready for that so it's that's another failure that goes all the way up to british and to potentially even uh it's paul paul manfort right it's uh it's monfort it's monfort uh, paul Dick. Dick Montfort? Yeah. I don't know where I came up with that name. Oh, well. Um, yeah, Dick Montfort could potentially just be saying, I don't want to pay to develop a training and recovery program that other teams aren't using. I mean, honestly, it doesn't make sense, though, because we can't – that's another thing that we can't really fault the Rockies for. They're, like, 21st in market size, but they have the 11th highest payroll. So – we can't really say that they're not willing to spend. Well, we can say uh, that they're willing to spend on players, but we don't know what they're doing behind the scenes. So they very well could say, well, we're getting you good good players, which I, we're paying our players a lot of money. I guess it's really the more – we'll get into that in a minute. Uh, we're paying our players a lot of money, so our players should be able to do this themselves because we're paying them to do this themselves. It could be the mentality there, because I don't know. With them being a smaller market, they don't have more money than other small market teams, probably. I mean, they're not the Cardinals. They don't have, like, the fifth largest fan base with the 15th largest market. They they actually are on the small end. So. Yeah. Did you end up ever finding that um, home run? No, I didn't find it. No? All right. But anyway, no, it was just something that I was curious about because, yeah, they, they 100% should be winning, like, the first game of every every series. Um, yeah, and I don't know what that even necessarily, like, looks like. Maybe that's throwing 95% uh, breaking balls or maybe that's 95% fastball something, but they should be able to figure that out and, and – yeah, and, and I would be curious if, if there were a way to do it, which I think uh, Matthew had sent us uh, uh, information about a, a database that has a whole bunch of info that we could look at and uh, pull. I wonder how in-depth it would be on basically um, Rocky's pitch selection in 2018 by game and stuff like that, because I would be curious, like in that season where Kyle Freeland was just an absolute monster, and that rotation was 
one of the better rotations in the league, quite frankly. Even yeah, playing they, in course. That year, they they had a an above average um, uh, pitching staff, and and they really leaned into the run prevention side of it too. So having like Arenado and Story on the left side of the infield, and I think that's also like a really important thing in Coors that you have a good defense. Yeah, yeah especially in that outfield because the uh, what is it left center of that outfield is just massive. Yeah, that's that's so. like the underrated part about Coors. Everyone knows about the home runs, but that place is the best place to hit triples and doubles too. So, yeah, I think you need if like one of the things the Rockies need to prioritize is outfield defense and and having uh, like a truly elite center fielder that can go track down balls wherever they're hit. Okay, so the Rockies were forty three and thirty nine at home in twenty nineteen, and they were. 38 and what would that be 38 and 43 on the road yeah Yeah. so So, they they were better at home than on the road but only minorly right but well because basically that uh so they were 81 and 81 they finished 500 in 2019 if i'm reading that right yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, but they, they should be way better than that. They have every bit of information oh, actually, to put like, together a team and be... 2019, 2019, 71, and 91. All right, I'm off by 10 here. Not sure where I'm off by 10. Oh, so... Yeah, unless they only won 28 games on the road, which, I mean, could be. That would be a perfect example of them being good at home compared to on the road. So that would be. But, no, yeah, they in, in that team, uh, yeah, 71 and 91. Okay. Um, but, yeah, th- this team should be, with that ballpark, that team should be hitting well. Basically, it's it's the best place to hit in Major League Baseball. They've had guys like Arenado, like Charlie Blackman, like uh, Trevor Story, these guys that can go out here and just absolutely rake. Uh, Story and Arenado rake anywhere they play. Charlie Blackman, depending on the season, can rake anywhere. Other seasons, he can only rake at course. I I need to do a bit more of a deep dive into Charlie Blackman before I say he's just like a great player everywhere. He's good, but I don't know if he... I definitely wouldn't put him on story Arenado levels. But with those three players all on the same team, you should be able to put together a supporting cast that's good enough to go out there and put up lopsided numbers in your home ballpark that would then also be able to translate to other ballparks and maybe not win as many games, maybe not hit as many home runs, as many triples, whatever. But they should have... Uh, they should be able to put together one roster of a uh, above 100 WRC plus. I just don't get it. Yeah, I think I think they're brought like they score plenty of runs, obviously because of Coors, but they're just brought down because that park factor is so so extreme. high. Yeah, yeah. But 
yeah, you're right. They should be able to put together a supporting cast to, to support their stars. And I think that's another one of their big failures in the fact that their prospects, honestly, like, are they, they've had some, like, big-name prospects that really just sort of stall out when they get to the major leagues. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I guess that kind of brings up a good topic is who even is on that team right now? Yeah. Because – because without me telling you, because I've got the entire 40-man right here and their entire top, well, not their entire, I stopped doing the top 30 prospects pretty pretty early on. Uh, I've got the top five prospects there and then a couple sprinkled in the 40-man the roster. But go ahead and name me their top five best players. I'll, I'll just make you do five. So they got uh, CJ Cron on a one-year deal. Um, they got Ryan McMahon playing second base. He's been a pretty solid. Obviously, Trevor Story. Um, they've got Rymel Tapia uh, doing his thing. Uh, they got Josh Fuentes, cousin of Nar- Nolan Arenado. Not quite the same player. Not even close. So you got five, and you didn't even give me Chuck Nasty. Yeah. So all right. So yeah. So I guess people know their their roster at least. And, and the only guy that you named that hasn't been there for a couple of years now is CJ Crone. But uh, they're catchers. Elias Diaz, Dom Nunez. Uh, infielders, they just brought Matt Adams up from uh, the minors this week. Um, he played in his first two games last week. Um, so Matt Adams, CJ Crone, Jonathan Daza, Garrett Hampson, Sam Hilliard, Rymel Tapia. Why does this go sideways like that? So I, I was reading pages down. Apparently it goes over and then comes back. So I just mixed up my infielders and outfielders. Let me do that again. Infielders, Matt Adams, CJ Cron, Josh Fuentes, Ryan McMahon, uh, Chris Owings, Brendan Rogers, Trevor Story, Alan Trejo, and let's see, Colton Welker and Aluris Montero are still in the minors. They're number nine. Uh, Montero is their number nine prospect, and Welker is their 11. So, yeah, so that's their infield, their uh, outfield. Yeah, go ahead. Their outfield, Charlie Blackman, Jonathan Daza, Garrett Hampson, Sam Hilliard, Rymel Tapia, and then Brett Boswell is in the minors. And then their pitchers, I'll just name you the guys who I've heard of. Um, I'll skip some of the other guys. Uh, Daniel Bard, Ryan Castellani, or Castellani, or however he pronounces his, uh, Ulysse Chassin, Carlos Estevez, Kyle Freeland, uh, Lucas Gilbreth, who just uh, debuted on Saturday. So he's – I'm trying to remember what number. Uh, Cespedes Family Barbecue is doing a countdown to the 20,000th uh, MLB player, and I think he clocked in at 19,970, I think, uh, Lucas Gilbreth did. Uh, they got Michael Givens, Austin Gomber, Chichi Gonzalez, John Gray – and Peter Lambert had Tommy John, and Scott Oberg had Tommy John, Herman Marquez, and Antonio Sensatella. And then a whole bunch of guys I've never heard of before. Uh, and Robert Stevenson from the Reds. So, Yeah, so overall, roster does not look great right now, and you can't even really look at it and say, hey, there's some guys here that could be good like in a couple years. There's really no hope for the entire 
active roster. Other than Trevor yeah. Story, and he won't be a Rocky very long. Well, well, and so I, I looked at this, and it's like, well, crap, I don't know anything about half these guys. So I, I tried to figure out, like, what's the best way for me to figure out how good this roster is right now? And so uh, I went on uh, Fangraphs, and I pulled up the uh, war by team and was given the following numbers. So um, Rocky's batters have 2.8 total war, um, which is the second worst in the major leagues other than Texas, who has 0.1. So Texas is replacement level hitters, period. Uh, The Rockies are next. And then uh, their pitchers have 10.5 war, which sounds way better. But they're still the fourth worst in the league. Um, so their team totals uh, is 13.3, which puts them second worst after Texas is 10.1. So, And uh, for reference, their star player from the past couple of years who they traded to the Cardinals, Nolan Arenado, already has .7 war himself and he just hit a monster three-run home run so 0.8.9 somewhere in there now um but yeah so like the there's individual players that are playing almost as good as the entire rockies team statistically yeah, so i i think mike trout has two war um yeah, byron buxton's i believe at 2.3 war yeah so byron buxton 2.1 byron yeah. buxton is the colorado rockies offense period yeah and byron buxton is one player it's important to note yeah so it like it, it's it's not good like i i was trying to find players that have been maybe diamonds in the rough even Dom Nunez, uh, their their catcher is uh, who isn't even their starting catcher. I don't think. I think Dom's their backup. Yeah, he's been getting a lot more playing time because he keep, he keeps popping home runs. Well, that and Elias Diaz is historically terrible. Like I looked back at his entire career, and he's not war wise. I think he has maybe I think it was maybe two seasons with positive war, and three seasons with negative war, and even then defensively he's always been negative so you would think that would be a red flag that you wouldn't pay him 1.2 million dollars and make him your starter if you have dom nunez who's sitting here with a uh woba of 349 and an uh, ex woba of 310 like he's actually playing relatively how he's expected to be he's popped four home runs and he's not a terrible defender if i remember right dom's pretty solid but. Uh, yeah, but I would say that I don't think it's too crazy to say that there's probably no one on this entire roster that will be playing in the next Rocky playoff game. Correct. So, so I think, what do we have to look forward to? Because I know you, you took a dive into their prospects. Yeah, so, well, first of all, I, I kind of want to give um, – a little bit of love to their their couple players that actually have been performing well. Ryan McMahon, uh, one twenty WRC plus so far this season uh, through through May first is when I've got my stats for. So um, I, I think he had a decent game yesterday as well. So it could have come up. I don't know. 
but he's got 0.8 war, and this is his career uh, low in uh, strikeout rate so far. So he's doing really well. Uh, Chris Owings, I think, is hurt right now, but he was doing really well. Um, yeah, he's for a week. Yeah, for for a week he was doing awesome. Uh, Trevor Story is starting a little bit slow. He's on base a solid amount, but he's only hitting 266 with two home runs. But I mean, all the star shortstops seem to be starting slow this year too. But still, point four WAR. And honestly, $18.5 million for this year, his last year of arbitration, he's kind of a steal. Um, and then in the outfield, I thought we had one guy that was doing really well. Uh, Garrett Hampson. is Garrett Hampson, I've been watching for years, hoping that he finally figured something out, and he appears to have so far. Through uh, 99 plate appearances as of the first Point four war, two ninety two average, uh, only an eighty eight WRC plus, but he has really high defensive value and five steals. So like he's he's basically another Harrison Bader type that's hitting with a higher average right now. Um, yeah, he's he's not a like he's fine, but he doesn't hit a lot of home runs. But I think that's okay for kind of what they need. Like he's a well, guy that can. I guess it seems like he can play center field and well, and he can cover crazy. that entire center field. Him and Rymel Tapia are, which Rymel has a zero point zero WAR, and I don't understand that because he's also playing really well with a uh, two eighty average, three home runs, uh, three twenty six WOBA, two ninety six X WOBA. So not not bad. Surprised he's not gotten higher WAR than that. So he's probably got something else that I'm missing in my very quick research here. Um, and then they had one pitcher, I think it was, or two pitchers. I think John Gray and, um, Herman Marquez were both playing really well so far. Um, but yeah, so those are, those are the guys on their big league roster right now that are good, which I think I only named seven, maybe six. And really when I say good, I'm not saying best in the league. I'm saying I would keep him around as uh, uh, Trevor Story is best in the league. The rest of them are, I would definitely add them to my team to make them better, but they're not in and of themselves going to make a great team. Um, prospects, there's not much. I mean, quite frankly, Zach Veen is probably the the guy. Um, he is an outfielder, a uh, high school prospect, 19 years old, just got drafted in, uh, 2020 is, uh, their first round pick. Um, I don't have his entire prospect grade here, but I do know his lowest grade was a 50, which was running. He's a very, very good prospect coming out of high school, but coming out of high school, he's a long ways off. He's probably not going to even like they're not going to think about letting him see the majors until probably 2024, if not 2025, depending on how everything else goes. Uh, Ryan Rollison is probably their best pitcher. Um, yeah, his, definitely like the guy that could probably see the major leagues this year. Yeah. Yeah, and he's got like a, I think he has a 60-graded curveball. Or a 65 graded curveball. Like his his curveball is awesome. Um, yep. He's got a plus fastball. 
his slider comes in at league average, but I mean, if you have a, an amazing curveball and a plus fastball, if you have just an average slider, you're probably going to play pretty well. So, so if that translates up, he's in good shape. Plus, he pitched at Ole Miss for three years, so he's got some higher uh, intensity play playing there in the SEC. So, I wouldn't be surprised if he pitched pretty well right after coming up. But he'll probably come up here later in the year if there's an injury. Um, and then uh, two other just honorable mentions. I won't give very much about them, but uh, Michael Toglia and Ryan Velade. Vilade, V-I-L-A-D-E. Um, it's a, I believe Toglia is a first baseman and Vlade Vlade is a center fielder, solid fielder. He's actually a, um, uh, a power bat with uh, solid fielding. So I think his, his contact skill came in kind of eh, um, like 45 grade maybe, but he could take left field and lock that down and just mash home runs for him. So, yeah, so that's really all that they've got in their system, and everyone else is coming in at minus or negative war or zero. Um, they've got a couple guys that I think are going to be ready for prospects this year that I didn't mention, which are Aluris Montero, probably uh, possibly Colton Welker for position players, and then they've been bringing up a whole bunch of pitchers already. Um, I think. Uh, Antonio Santos debuted last year and got rocked in his three appearances. Um, Hector Oliveras hasn't debuted yet, but he's probably their next best pitching prospect. Uh, he's their number seven. I think he'll be up this year. Hel- Helchris, I think. Did I say that right the first time? I think it's Helchris, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then Justin Lawrence. Um he actually just made his debut, and he throws like 100 miles per hour from this weird sidearm slot. Oh, that's that guy? Yeah. Oh, shoot. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. No, that so that's that's kind of really... He's pretty interesting, and it's, it's just funny that he has absolutely no hype because every team seems to now have a guy that throws 100 miles per hour now. Well, and he's their number 30 prospect, and his command is awful. That's why he's a reliever. But I'm not sure it's even considered effectively wild. Yeah, probably not. That hap- <laughs> that happens a lot with relievers that throw that hard. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, and I mean, Jordan Hicks throws that hard, but he throws over That's, the top still. He still doesn't have good command, but oh, I, no. it's obviously better. No, but his is effective. <laughs> yeah. With Lawrence, because he comes from that weird side slot. Because he is not really a submariner, but it's like a really, I don't yeah, even know how you describe three, it. Three quarters. Is it? It looks more than that. It's like uh, four fifths. It's the four fifths spot. It's way down there. You just invented a new uh, arm slot. I know, name. right? Dude, I'm someone like Fangraph. Sign me to an extension. They're just an original contract. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess the one thing I'll ask is, um, what should the assistant general manager do with Trevor Story, considering the state of the farm system? Do you try to um, sign him to a contract 
after the season or and, and then just come away with the qualifying offer? Or, or do you need to trade him away because the, the system's so barren? So any uh, Rockies fans that end up listening to this episode are going to hate me for saying this. But from my just kind of face value analysis of the system – I kind of think they got to blow it all up. Not not just even story. I think you get back value for the pieces you've got that could help a contending team. There's a team that needs a second baseman, third baseman that would love to have Ryan McMahon. He's got really good power from the left side of the dish. And he's a pretty solid defender at third. You could get some prospects for him that are better than your top 30. And I mean, hell, 10 of their top 30 are all going to debut this year and they're all pitchers and they're all like numbers like, 17 through 30 at some yeah, point I'm... you got to start stocking with some uh, some higher end prospects you got to do basically what the the padres did or what the marlins are trying thing to with do. a guy like uh herman Mar- marquez yeah i think a lot of teams would like to have him as part of their starting rotation to see what he can do away from Coors. so you want to know what what the note i had for herman marquez is uh 0.5 war under contract until 2023 with the 2024 club option at 8.4 AAV. Uh, career 424, uh, I think that was supposed to say ERA, but I put war. Career 424 uh, ERA, good stuff, I like him. That was yeah, my notes on Herman Marquez. He's a really good pitcher, and he, he eats innings, which is becoming a rarity these days. I think he's a, and, and plus, like you said, he's got multiple years left on his contract, so that becomes a really valuable chip if they decide they want to trade them this year they yeah. can even trade them like in the offseason or next year too yeah but then guys that i honestly would trade this year because you're gonna lose them if you don't trade them now and you need to get something back for them trevor story quite frankly should have been traded in the offseason is a one-year rental for a team that was shooting for the world series that needed a star uh, star shortstop he wasn't, so his value is probably going to be a little bit less, especially after this kind of slow start that he's had. Um, and at 18 mil, they'll end up, well, they've already paid some of his contract, so it becomes less of an issue for other teams. Um, and you could still get good uh, a good prospect back for him, or you could get quantity still. I think you could get two or three low-level prospects, or uh, like a decent upper level or at least highly touted lower level prospect and another like PTBNL or something. A smarter GM than me can figure out a good trade for him, but you could get value out of that. John Gray, I think, is a free agent after this year. He's yeah, really he's good, go. and yeah. he's only uh, he only makes $6 million in his third year of arbitration. Like, any team would die to have him for the rest of the year like he's really good and can help a lot of rotations i mean quite frankly the cardinals need him and and i say that knowing full well that our rotation this last week has had like a two era it's been really good this week pretty much any actually every single team in the major league can use depth starters just look at the dodgers yeah we thought they had the best depth and now they're down three starters basically so yeah, so now they're down to just a normal five-man rotation. Yeah, they only have four, <laughs> like four from the original starting rotation right now. So every team needs starting pitchers, and I think the Rockies should be the one supplying it. Yeah, and 
uh, Kyle Freeland is a guy that I, I couldn't decide how I felt they should deal with him. I kind of think you keep him one more year. I, he's on the IL right now. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's been pretty up and down, so I think they they can still try to see if they can, you know, have him help the team. I'm gonna sneeze here in a minute, so I apologize multiple, for that. Multiple years. Yeah, but so he pitched pretty decently in 2017. Uh, amazingly, in 2018, horrifically bad and got optioned in 2019, and then in 2020 he played similar to how he did in 2017 over a shorter season. So he's kind of all over the place. So if he can pitch even just another full season at his 2017 and 2020 levels, he's like a a number four or five reliever, or uh, not reliever, number four or five rotation piece. Uh, But I'd keep him for another year. Um, Carlos Estevez is under team control through 23. Um, What else I got here? one other guy that i thought or maybe uh, let's see so story and mcmahon yeah so uh, those four guys i would basically trade away get as much value as you possibly can out of them um i think the there's a, a couple of uh guys who aren't on the top 30 yet that i think could end up being pretty good uh, a couple of guys i didn't mention grant levine um, he could pan out pretty well. He was a maybe a comp first round pick last year, or maybe a um, second round pick, or something like that. But he, uh, I think he could be decent. Another couple guys like that that they might have something, but it's going to be three, four years out, and that's kind of the window for the Dodgers and the Padres right now too. Is another two, three potentially four years for the Padres, they're still going to be good. Yeah. So it's like one more comment I'll just make on their mentality towards using their prospects that is really frustrating for me to watch is they'll call up a prospect. So like, for example, Brendan Rogers, who is like a really big project or prospect. Obviously he's had a lot of injuries and things like that, but it seems like when they called him up, it wasn't to play every day, which just seemed silly with the guy of his pedigree. Yeah, they he put him on the bench, didn't they? Draft, and then they put him on the bench, play him once a week, and then he struggles. What can they expect? Well, and at the same time, they just brought up Garrett Hampson like the year before, and he was... And he never really got full-time playing time at all. Yeah. And and then and they did the same thing with Sam Hilliard. Same thing's happening right now with Sam Hilliard, and he already got option. He He's back today, actually, but he's these players aren't getting their fair shake at, you know, proving themselves in the major leagues, which is yeah, it's, just a really not smart way to run the, the team. Yeah. Usually you complain because a team gives a guy too much leash and tries to use a guy too much when there's nothing there. And I mean, there's Cardinal fans are kind of ticked right now at Justin Williams. I don't really understand that very much. He's still pretty good. He's, he's not, like top prospect outfielder, but like they're mad that he's playing too much when he's the healthy guy. But then you've got the Rockies that at the time have all these guys healthy and they just won't pick one to give them a fair shake. 
And so they're basically stunning the growth as prospects and wasting their own guys. It's like, if you're not going to use him, you should get value from him somehow. Whether that's trade him, keep him, I don't know. It's, yeah, I don't know. I the The team needs to... They need to go on a backpacking trip across Europe and find themselves, I think, is kind yeah. of the the best yeah, way to, so I, to describe it. If I can just it. summarize, summarize uh, you feel free to, to jump in if I've forgotten anything, but the first thing they need to do is get their um, organization like all on the same page and feeling like they're working together rather than, you know, having to listen to Jeff British and, and not be able to have any input in the, in the situation. Yeah. And, and, and that starts at Dick Monfort and Bill Schmidt, just sitting in a room together and saying, this is what we're going to do. We want to win. Do we want to win now, which is going to be impossible? Or do we want to win in five years? Knowing yeah, that, that, knowing they, that they Bill Schmidt, knowing Bill Schmidt is interim. Where they are, they're, they're not good right now. They need to recognize that and, and make the right moves. Yeah, and and Bill Schmidt is interim, so it's not going to be his problem long-term, but he's been there long enough that I think he cares about that club, and they have a limited amount of time to make some moves to put themselves in a good position four years down the road with Story and with uh, uh, John Gray. They're, they're, They're basically ticking time bombs on their value. So, sorry, you go back to your summarization. No problem. Uh, next thing is just leveraging their their ballpark, which is the most unique in the majors for their advantage, needs to be a priority in the way that they build their roster as well as the way they develop the players to be able to play in that environment and then also go on the road to have success. If they put as much time and effort and thought into building a roster as they did building that gorgeous stadium they could be a dynasty. Just saying. They they are capable of putting a lot of time and effort into something and making a gym out of it. Now do it with your on-field product and not where your on-field product plays. Um, And then, I guess, play your prospects and don't sign free agent relievers to mega deals. Or Ian Desmond. Or Ian Desmond. And then you're well on your way to making some rapid improvements to the franchise as a whole. Yeah, and obviously we've kind of just basically skipped over the what do they do in the meantime part. In the meantime, you sign guys like Ian Desmond to the contracts they're worth. Not to these mega deals that quite frankly, they probably shouldn't have got. I think that's when Trevor Plouffe, that same season is when Trevor Plouffe went from the Twins to the Phillies. Does that sound right? Yeah, it could have been, but it definitely wasn't. He didn't get any, like, he got like a money. He got, like, a yeah. one- or two-year deal at yeah. maybe 10 mil each. I don't know. It wasn't anything ridiculous, but, um, no, like, those are the types of guys that you want to have around if you can get them to come and play during a rebuild. That's going to be the hard part is finding guys who want to play for you during a rebuild so you keep fans coming back. Because you obviously don't want to completely blow it up and say, we don't want fans to come to the stadium for three years and then expect them to come back because they won't. The The St. Louis Rams did that. 
now they're in LA. Because St. Louis wouldn't pay for a stadium for them. So, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. There's the, the Rockies are in a... That pun's too easy. The Rockies are in a bit of a precarious situation right now. Um, they yeah, could go... It's a, really, it's a really big like opportunity for whoever ends up getting the full-time GM job. I kind of hope it's someone out of the organization so they get a different voice there. Yeah. Um, because it, it just seems like it's gotten stale, especially in the last few years, and they're not really making a lot of progress. Yeah. But, I don't know. I'm tired of this uh, kind of negative talk about the uh, the Rockies. What do you say we give away some awards? Let's do it. Let's give some hardware away. All right. So I, I do um, need to go on the intermission screen for just a moment. I realized I totally forgot to hide the uh, names, so I don't want to give them all away at once. I want to talk about them before we give them away. So give me just one moment. All right. So uh, it turns out I forgot that I can't do that while on stream because it will show it on the screen no matter what. So uh, I had a joke in there that I'm just going to have to skip. So I apologize. Here are the awards. So we came up with some very official April awards. Uh, I think award season is probably everybody's favorite part of the season except for, you know, the whole season and postseason and preseason and offseason parts um does that sound about right to you yep yep so basically other than all of it award season is the best um always love a red carpet so we thought what are the uh kind of most important um most important things to laud players for and uh we came up with the list you see on the screen mr steelio base the 50 cal man my valuable player it was going to be mason's valuable player but i mean unless There's gotham changes his name five. that doesn't work out too well uh and then the monthly mike trout award which that's where my joke was uh, i was going to give it to mike trout um no basically the monthly mike trout award is an award that we have uh come up with that is basically saying mike trout is the greatest player that we're ever going to see ever probably um and he deserves every award but he doesn't get it so if we recognize that mike trout should get every award why not do that by just naming the award after him so he always gets it but he never gets it unless he earns it by being mike trout so basically what that is, the guy who plays the most like Mike Trout for the month. And Mr. Uh, so I guess I'll go back to the top of the list now, but uh, after I've explained my joke there, it's, it's how you know it's a good joke when you explain it, right? Um, yeah, so uh, I'm obviously not going to quit my day job and become a comedian. So Mr. Steelio Base is uh, a category that we've come up with that is basically recognizing uh, a player for his on-the-base paths um, accomplishments and abilities. And my pick for Mr. Steelio Base was Zach McKinstry. And the reason I chose McKinstry is that he, uh, as we talked about a couple weeks ago and then again last week in the trivia, he's the first player since Duke Snyder to hit his first home run as an inside-the-park home run. 
which requires you to just absolutely be hammering on the base paths and just going full speed. And so that's why he gets Mr. Steelio base, because he stole home. So I'll, I'll let you break down your pick here, Gowie. Yeah, my pick is a uh, favorite of the podcast, clearly uh, Ramon Laureano. He leads the league in stolen bases. And uh, I think there's something to be said for a guy that is taking bases when like base stealing in general is down. So it seems like an advantage is, could be gained just by, you know, making those attempts. And he's not the fastest guy. Like I think his sprint speed is in the like 27.7 range, which is really not like at the top of the, the list for like center fielders or anything, but he's apparently good at getting jumps and he's good at, you know, being successful at stealing and give him props for that. Yeah. And I mean, there's countless other awards that we could come up with that uh, wouldn't be with Loriano in mind, but he would also qualify for. Um, yeah. So our next category is the 50 Cal man. And this is basically a guy who's just throwing absolute bullets. And uh, we've obviously taken a couple uh, different um, paths here with our choices. My pick was Dylan Carlson. I don't know if any of you guys saw it. Uh, last week, uh, he had an outfield assist that he... I, I'm trying to think. Did he throw it to home or throw it to third? Throw it to, threw it to third. Yeah, so he threw it to third to get the runner. And he threw from... Uh, deep center field a 92.7 mile an hour bullet to the bag to get the runner out so that's why dylan carlson is this month's 50 cal man in my eyes yeah underrated part of that play was arenado like like kind of moving up in front of the base to catch the ball make that tag that was a great overall play yeah um my guy's uh emmanuel classe he's the closer for the cleveland indians um He's thrown the most pitches greater than 101 miles per hour this season, even more than Jordan Hicks. He doesn't have the, the, the fastest pitch this season, but he's doing it with consistency. And when he throws the ball, it's like completely effortless. And then it's somehow 101 miles per hour and it's got cut. So it's, yep. Nice card there. Um, the team's he, a little different on this one, but yeah, he's a, <laughs> He's got that mentality of a closer too. He he doesn't seem phased by the moment at all, and I think he's gonna be like be a really good piece for that back end of the their bullpen. Yeah, and we would have got to see him last year, except he was on a, an eighty game PED suspension. Yeah, that caused him to miss that the entire shortened season last year. But he's back now, and so they've got to be happy about that trade that they made. I guess. Yeah. Yeah, especially because it was, what, Kluber for Class A? Yeah. Yeah. The one-inning wonder. <laughs> He's doing pretty good right now, though, too. Not yeah, he had a really nice start yesterday. For for the Yankees. Yeah. yeah. All right, I'll take uh, my valuable player first here. All right. So my guy's uh, Chris Bryant. Bias. has actually won the most valuable player once before in 2016 and his numbers so far um here in 2021 are actually better through may 1st than they were 
back in 2016, which is pretty hard to believe because a lot of Cubs fans were writing this guy off like, oh, he gets injured all the time. But I've been saying it for years. A healthy Chris Bryant is a productive Chris Bryant. And we're seeing that again. And the Cubs, honestly, like I'm a Cubs fan, obviously, um, but I'm a realistic Cubs fan. They're in last place. And without Chris Bryant playing the way he is, it'd probably look a lot worse. I, I do think as a, as a guy that would love to see the Cubs go back to, you know, sucking for eternity again, uh, they I, I kind of think they would be dumb to not make him the cornerstone. I like yeah, I I know you I know that Cubs fans love Javi and love Willie but honestly I kind of think KB is the is the guy if it were me yeah, from a, from a so. baseball player perspective like he is obviously the best player on the Cubs yeah and and I mean I've kind of thought that for a while and I, and I'm right there with you I think we've had countless conversations about how a healthy KB is a good KB and he's proved that He's played through injuries and been terrible, but then as soon as he's healthy again, he mashes. Dude's nuts. Yep. Every time he gets injured, I think the Cubs should pay for him to go to Hawaii. <laughs> That's I, not a bad idea. It's not. It, it would allow him to heal and come back and be relaxed and be good. And I like good baseball as much as the next guy. I love watching Chris Bryant mash as long as the Cubs still suck. Oh, you're so, getting your wish this year for sure. I know it's great. It was that your Christmas yeah. present to me? Uh, sure. Oh, thank you. That's so sweet. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, my my valuable player is a little bit of uh, an oddball pick. Cedric Mullins was um, I don't know if he was the top prospect for the Orioles a couple of years ago, uh, but he was kind of he was their rookie that was kind of like the this is our guy for the next couple years while we know we're going to suck, but he could be pretty good. And then Mullins just kind of didn't live up to the small amount of hype that they gave him, or maybe they overhyped him because they were going to be so bad. I'm not sure which one it was, but he was pretty terrible. Um, but something's happening to Cedric Mullins the second, and I don't know what it is, but dude is, is raking right now so he's he's 20 oh no that's games played i thought that was his age uh he's played 28 games uh 121 plate appearances um four home runs 300 or 300 321 batting average uh he is striking out a little less than 20 percent which is actually Wait, I guess I should click on just him instead of trying to compare him to all the guys above him on the war list. Whoops. <laughs> Pardon my terrible statistics reading. Um, yeah, so Mullins came up in 19. Um, he only played 22 games in 19. Was not very good. He hit 094. Uh, 2020 hit 271 with three bombs in the short or in 48 games and then this year in 28 games already he's hitting 321 with four bombs uh nine ribbies nine runs two stolen bases a 1.3 war so he's finally starting to figure something out and look a lot more comfortable behind uh, or on at the dish there we go and 
I mean, he's. I think he's kind of part of the reason that the Orioles are overperforming expectations here in the early running. Yeah, for so. me, Mullins, the biggest thing for me is that he he gave up switch hitting. So his his left-right splits were really extreme, uh, leaning towards his like left-handed side. He was really bad as a right-handed hitter, so he just gave that up. I feel like that could help a young player a lot, just having like half the things to think about, basically. Yeah, and and the other part of it is almost a little bit more uh, mental as well because switch hitters are never the same from both sides of the plate. I mean, even yeah, the best switch hitters have a power guys. side and they have a side that they can get some pretty decent contact, but they don't really have power because they're not hitting from that side enough. And so whenever you're not hitting as well from the other side, it could bring down your, your hitting from your, your main good side so yeah tucker barnhart did the same thing and he's having a really nice season too just batting as a left-handed hitter yeah um i i would like to make one clarification to a statement that i said i said the orioles were overperforming expectations and they are they're still last place at 13 and 15 i thought they were going to be like on pace for 100 losses again which they still could be we don't know it's a long Matt season. Harvey, man, anchoring the staff, he's doing a nice job. Matt Harvey? Yeah. I honestly haven't seen anything about Harvey yet this year. He's doing well. Um, all right, so our final award, and, and ignore the Mike Trout. I'll just take it off because it's a joke that I've missed already. We've got one combined monthly Mike Trout, and this month's Mike Trout is none other than Byron Buxton, a uh, guy that we would like to be a friend of the pod. I think we've talked about him almost as much as we've talked about Ramon Laureano. The dude is a five-tool player when he's healthy. He's he's kind of KB from the standpoint of when he's healthy, he's great. Byron Buxton is just on an absolute tear. And I don't know, did you have any statistics or anything you wanted to share? If not, I could pull up his line and just give a... I mean... Mike Trout kind of does fit on the list here because Mike Trout oh. pretty much just finished his best month of his entire career. And the fact that Buxton outperformed him is just kind of remarkable. Yeah, and, and that was the other reason I had Mike Trout up here is because I, I originally wanted to give this award to Mike Trout just in general. Like, every month I wanted it to be Mike Trout gets the Mike Trout award because, yes, um... But yeah, then you pointed out to me that Buxton actually performed better than Trout, and it's like, oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so Buxton is uh, hitting 408, uh, which is actually down a little bit. I think uh, he was hitting, what, 420 last week? Yeah. Yeah, I think him and Trout both were hitting 420. But so far, Buxton is hitting 408 with eight home runs, three steals. Uh, his strikeout percentage is the lowest it's ever been at 21%. His walk rate is kind of the median it's ever been, sitting right at about 3.7, but with all the home runs, he doesn't really need to take walks. He should. Um, But yeah, so he's got 2.3 war through the month of April uh, with a 261 WRC+. Just throw that one out there since that's the stat of the day. That's absolutely nuts. So he's a 261 WRC+. Mike Trout is so close with a 257. 
uh, and he has scroll down a little bit a 413 average uh, seven bombs no stolen bases so I think that's where Buxton gets him um, granted that doesn't factor into WRC plus right I uh, don't believe so no just kidding yeah um, see but Trout's got uh, 16 ribbies seven home runs in the 97 plate appearances his walk rate is at 16 and a half his k rate is actually up to almost 25 so it's one of the highest k rates he's ever had um but it appears to be paying off right now because uh what was it the other day that you had tweeted uh he got the barry bonds treatment homered in the first inning and then was intentionally walked in the second inning that was trout yeah well, yeah, that's that's who I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So Trout got the Barry Bonds treatment. If so, that gives you any indication on how good he's playing right now as well. And and Ronald Acuna, I think, gets honorable mention as well, but doesn't quite crack the monthly Mike Trout level. All right. So those are our very very official April awards. Uh, we will be submitting these to the MLB and expecting them to pay for the plaques. Um, I'll let you know how that goes. I, I'm probably going to get the, uh, uh, who was it? Javi, uh, reaching over Moustakis. Was that Javi? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For, uh, for any of those that don't know, uh, there was a bit of a dust up and Javi Baez ended up flipping off, uh, Amir Garrett, I think. Yep. In the Reds game the other day, the Reds Cubs. All right, cool. So yeah, that's gonna wrap things up for this episode. Uh, we both have been getting a little bit more active on Twitter, so you can follow the pod account at Getaway Day Pod, and then you can follow me at uh, Gautam Rao thirty three, and then Mason at Mason underscore Lot three. Yeah, so basically, if you go to the pod Twitter, you could go into following, and I think the only people that we're following are the two of us and Major League Baseball. So, uh, it should be pretty easy to find us. Um, yeah. No, so, uh, thanks for hanging out with us tonight. I'll let you take us on out. Uh, yep. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back with you next week. All right. Have a good one. <laughs>